It's a good night, yes? Beautiful day outside. It's fall. We've warmed our bellies with some chili tonight. Thank you for coming uh, tonight. We are going to be in Mark chapter 11. If you have a Bible, turn there. If you don't, uh, on either side of me are Bibles we'd like to give to you as uh, a gift. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take that home with you. Even if you have a bunch of Bibles and you don't have an ESV Bible, those are ESV Bibles a newer translation that's really good, uh, feel free to take that home with you. If you have one of those Bibles, it's on 723, page 723. If you don't have one of those Bibles, I don't know what page it's on. Mine's 847. We are Images of Jesus Part 30 tonight, and we kind of begin a new trilogy, as I like to uh, think of it. It's a trilogy where Jesus is encountering religious leaders in Jerusalem, and he is in their face having some conflict showing his authority. In fact, the theme of, of the message tonight and the theme of, of all three of these uh, in the, this little trilogy where he's coming into conflict with, uh, with these religious leaders is this. Jesus has authority. We can submit to it or we can be in opposition to it. That's a, that's a life principle. It's a principle that, that Jesus is going to show us here and Mark is going to show us through these words and and those words are going to be on the screen for most of the night tonight because I want that to just just permeate into your brains and into your thought that Jesus has authority. There's nothing that you and I have to do in order for Jesus to have authority. He has authority, period. On the board it says comma, but trust me, it's a period. Uh, Jesus has authority. We can either submit to that authority or we can be in opposition to it. And we're going to see what happens to people and things when they're in opposition to it. Mark uses stories. Jesus uses stories. In fact, sort of the, the, the premise of tonight is he's going to use a story, an allegory, to, to teach this point. And then he's going to actually do this. Some, some intense action. That's the scene that we'll have in, in this little story that we're seeing. And then we'll go back to the same allegory and then back to some conflict where he is connecting with with these religious leaders and being in conflict with them. And, and understand this, that all of these things, we're, we're on the precipice of this trilogy of conflict with these religious leaders. And every bit of conflict that arises between Jesus and these religious leaders is steered into by Jesus. If this is, if you, you picture this whole thing as, as like a Lord of the Rings trilogy, this is a story, a trilogy, the J.R. Tolkien in the Lord of the Rings is Jesus Christ here in this trilogy. He is writing the story. He's not only the actor, but he is the writer, the author. So every bit of conflict, Jesus absolutely intends for it to happen. We have to know that. We have to see it. And it is this conflict that gets us to the end of the story. So the opening scene of this movie that we see tonight is, is allegory. And, and these kind of thoughts are in your bulletin as well. So let's get to, to part one of our little movie here that Mark is, is leading us to. Chapter 11, verse 12. Before we get there, let's, uh, let's pray. God, I, I thank you for tonight. I thank you for this opportunity to, to dig into your word. Father, I pray that you would uh, be with my words and my thoughts, God, and be with, with each of us, Father, as we seek to dive into your scripture, that you would illuminate it for us and you would reveal the character of your Son and reveal the character of you, God, that we would see who you are, that you are in a position of authority. You have authority in our lives, and 
You are powerful, God. And Lord, I pray that You would impress upon us to connect with the authority of Your Son, Jesus Christ, and submit to that authority. I thank You for Jesus. It's in His name. Amen. So, verse 12 of chapter 11, uh, the book of Mark. Part 1 of our little story. Again, this is some allegory that Jesus that Mark is writing about the life of Christ. Mark says this, On the following day, on the following day, meaning last week we talked about the triumphal entry. And the triumphal entry, if you weren't here, big, huge, massive party because Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. And the triumphal entry happens a week before the biggest holiday of, of the year for these people, Passover. It is the 4th of July and Christmas for us wrapped into one holiday for them. Jesus, the, the Messiah, comes into the Mecca and they throw this big, massive party. On the very next day of this triumphal entry where he's riding in a donkey and people are going nuts, saying Hosanna, shouting, save us. The next day, they come back into the city after going to Bethany. When they came from Bethany, he was hungry. Jesus was hungry. And seeing in the distance a fig tree in leaf, he went to see if he could find anything on it. When he came to it, he found nothing but leaves, for it was not the season for figs. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. A couple of things to point out here is this fig tree in full leaf, meaning it's a, a tree that's filled with leaves and it's, it's, it looks like it's a live and healthy tree that should be bearing its fruit. And Jesus walks up to it and he's hungry and... There's no fruit on it. Although it seems to be fully alive, it's just not the season, it's not the time for it to be bearing its fruit. The allegory that we can see here is this is the picture of sometimes things are not always what they seem. And in this case, Jesus is just about to be in conflict and attack these religious people, and they are the fig tree. They appear to be in full leaf, but there's no fruit coming from them. And it's important for us to connect with that, that Imagine the opening scene of a, of a great movie showing you in a picture what the film is going to be about. That's what's happening here. In a picture, Mark is giving us, and Jesus is showing us, and Mark is relating it to us, what this time is going to be about. It's about this. What appears to be full life, really there's nothing happening. Because Jesus, the author of everything, it's, it's not yet time for everything to happen. So the allegory is just that. And... And move forward to, to verse 14. And he said to it, May no one ever eat fruit from you again. And his disciples heard it. Instance number one, a very practical thing where we can see and touch and, and understand, Jesus is in full and complete authority. He's in authority over our lives, but here specifically in this context, he's in authority over this fig tree. He's a king over nature. It's very, very practical but it's also very allegorical. He is setting the tone for this encounter with these power wolves to show that he's in charge. And these guys are going to take the place of the fig tree, which is where the story leads to next. Verse 15. And they came to Jerusalem. Again, this is the Mecca. This is the religious capital of the world for the Jews. The most important, powerful, most influential people in all of Judaism, that is the Jews, are in Jerusalem. So he comes to Jerusalem, he and his disciples, and he entered the temple 
and began to drive out those who sold and those who bought in the temple. And he overturned the tables of the money changers and the seats of those who sold pigeons. Basically, everybody's coming with different denominations of money and they come and they don't, they want to have the right amount of money to give their, their temple tax. They want to have the right amount of money to, to buy the right items to, to go and to offer sacrifices and, and all that stuff. But what's happened is these people have, have destroyed that notion and, and made the temple a profit center where they're going to make money. And Jesus is angry and very upset. This is part two of our little movie. It's not allegorical anymore. It is specific. Jesus is going in and, again, get the, the, the notion of your grandmother's picture of Jesus out of your mind. He's not a sweet, soft hippie with long hair and patted everybody in the back. This is a big, strong carpenter with big hands and calluses on his hands, and he's angry. It's our man Abe back there. If he decided to throw everybody out of their chairs right now, it would happen we couldn't do anything about it. Jesus is more like Abe physically than me. Right? Uh, although we both have the same haircut. Verse 16. And he would not allow anyone to carry anything into the temple. Understand this. This is the week before Passover. There are thousands and th- tens and hundreds of thousands of people here in the temple. Jesus is one dude. And he says this, this scripture says this, and he would not allow anyone to carry anything into the temple. This is a big, powerful man. He has spiritual authority, and here he is exhibiting physical authority. He's kicking people out, people's livelihood. He just destroyed their livelihood. They're trying to sell and make money off of God, and he kicks them out and kicks them out of the temple, and now he won't let anybody into the temple. Jesus is physically powerful. Verse 17, and he was teaching them, saying, teaching them, anybody that's around watching this happen, oh my gosh, this is the Messiah who we were just singing Hosanna to, like yesterday, and now this guy is just destroying the temple. What, what's happening here? He was teaching these people, just standers by, passers by, is it not written, my house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations, but you have made it a den of of robbers, Jesus in the face of people and their livelihoods, very aggressive, very much in their face. If we can try and remove ourselves from the familiarity of this passage and see the the profoundness of what is actually happening here, huge, massive holiday, hundreds of thousands of people around, and now Jesus is filled with physical presence, big time authority. Jesus is, Mark was talking about allegory before, now physical authority of Jesus. Again, on the screen, Jesus has authority. We can submit to it or we can be in opposition to it. Verse 18, we see the opposition from the chief priests and the scribes, the fig tree. And Jesus and the chief priests and the scribes heard it and were seeking a way to destroy him. For they feared him Because all the crowd was astonished at his teaching. What's happening here is, I'm scared of you, Jesus, but you're messing with my authority, so I'm going to seek a way to destroy you. And remember, everything that happens here, every single moment is ordained by God. God is, Jesus here in the story is the author of the story and he's a player in the story. Nothing here that happens is outside of the authority and control of Jesus. 
He intends for every single event to happen. It's absolutely important for us to come to grips with with that. And here, these religious leaders, the people who are these power wolves, the people who, who want authority and don't want Jesus to have authority, are seeking a way to destroy him. We know to the end of the story. The end of the story is that they succeed. They find a way to destroy him, and they think that they've won. But ultimately, them thinking that they've won, them carrying out their trying to gain authority, plays into the greatest hand of all time. Is that, I want you to kill me so that I can rise and defeat death and people can be with God again. So, where they think they are succeeding, they're making a plan here to destroy him. But it's Jesus' plan for them to come up with a plan for them to destroy him. Does that make sense? Jesus is above it all. Jesus has the authority. Where they perceive they have authority, ultimately, they're playing into the authority of Jesus. It's the intended response of Jesus. I want to stop just for a second, and because so many times when we sit in a church, we want to connect with Christ instead of connect with the Pharisees and the religious people, because we know Jesus is good, the religious people are bad. So we have a hard time connecting with them. But I want to connect with them for just a second and ask a simple question. What area of your life are you wrestling with God over control? And in a church setting, I'm going to get to this at the end when we talk about application. In this particular setting, we can be very, very superficial. I need to stop getting drunk so much. I need to stop looking at porn. I need to stop doing these particular list of things. I'm going to call us to go way, way deeper than that. Because I believe this. I believe that God is calling every one of us in some way to submit to his authority in a deep, deep, deep way. way that you're not going to come to grips with tonight in the service. The way that you're not going to come to grips with when I get done talking and, and you guys have response time for five or six minutes. It's, it's not going to come to you in that moment. I want to lay this on you. I want to lay this question on you that you can get deeper and wrestle and seek the face of God because we all are striving to get authority for ourselves. We want power. We want control. We want authority for ourselves, just like these religious people. And we're scared of Jesus because we're scared he's going to take it from us. And ultimately, that's the truth. You can give it to him or you can be in opposition to him. Either way, he's got it. We can wind up like the dead, withered fig tree, or we can wind up like the disciples receiving continually from Christ. It's huge. Monumental. Verse 19. Return to the allegory. Part 3 of our little movie. And when evening came, they went out of the city. Again, a habit of Jesus. He goes and he teaches big crowds, and then he gets alone with his disciples so that he can speak specifically to them. He gets alone with them. And they passed by in the morning, and they saw the fig tree withered away to its roots. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered. I want to look at a, at a couple of notions here. First of all, this fig tree is withered to its roots. At, at the core of this, teaches us, this is allegory showing us our total destruction, our total depravity. It's not our surface things that we need to submit to the authority of Christ. It's not the looking at porn. It's not the 
the drinking too, getting drunk too much. It's not those things. That's why I said what I said a minute ago. At our roots, we are destroyed. We are depraved. We are seeking our own authority. At our roots, we will be withered when we do not submit to Christ. And Peter remembered and said to him, Rabbi, look, the fig tree that you cursed is withered, has withered. At least 15 times that I found this week in the Psalms and in the prophecies, um, Scripture talks about fig trees and, and fruit trees withering at their core, at their roots. This is something that these people were very familiar with. And so Jesus is using this allegory to teach them about something that they are very, very familiar with. So he, that's what he uses. But ultimately, the thing we can draw from this allegory is we do not exist properly when we are in conflict with God. Death will happen to us when we are in opposition. Again, when we are in opposition to God. We are separated from God in our sin and our quest for authority, our quest for power will absolutely wind up with us in the place of the fig tree, which is the religious leaders in our particular story. William Lane, a commentary that I read, says this, it's clear that Peter saw this day's events as a vivid warning of impending judgment. Everything is about to come to a head and Jesus is using this allegory of this fig tree to show us what is happening, that impending judgment is, is coming. Jesus' response, part four of our little film. He, he comes to this place where he is going to teach these people. Jesus answered them, Have faith in God. These words are so very powerful. He is allegorically dealing with the fallen state of the nation of Israel, and as a result, the falling state of us as leaders. And he's attacking these leaders and the hopelessness of what is happening to, and he turns it, and he speaks to the solution of this withering. We can stand in opposition to God, or we can stand submitting to his authority. And this is the step. These simple words out of the mouth of Christ. Again, he is talking to these people. His disciples in the setting. The, the response for you to submit to me is step one, faith. And we know that faith in God is where trust and surrender come together. We must trust Him. We must surrender Him. Faith at its root is submission to the authority of God. There is no trust. There is no surrender without understood and recognized authority and willingness to submit to that authority. Let me say that again. Let me read this specifically, because it's vital for us to come to grips with. There is no surrender, and there is no trust, meaning there is no faith, without understood and recognized authority, and willingness to submit to that authority. We can't have faith without submitting to the authority of Christ. You don't trust in something, you don't surrender to something, unless you understand that it has authority in your life. It's... A big kid and a little kid wrestling. He, the, the little kid is never going to give up until the big kid shows that he's in control. I'm never going to trust you and surrender to you until you can prove that you're fully in authority of my life. This is absolutely vital. And it is what places the scribes and the Pharisees at odds with Jesus 
and what places the disciples in a position to receive from them. It's faith that has as its root understood authority. What's on the screen now? Have faith in God. Faith is where trust meets surrender. Faith has at its root submission to authority. There is no trust. There is no surrender without understood authority. If everything that Christ is always talking about, faith is the key. We have to come to grips with this understanding of what authority means and and how we live under the authority of Christ. Verse 23. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea. Let me stop for a second. They are on the Mount of Olives. It's a physical place we could walk to, we could fly to today. The Mount of Olives. If we were standing on the Mount of Olives, we could look to the east and see the Dead Sea. Jesus is teaching with his physical surroundings. So let's connect with these disciples and understand this isn't just some clever little thing that a mountain is really big and a sea is really deep and we can throw the mountain into the sea. They are there. They're on a mountain looking at a sea. And Jesus uses the physicalness of this world to teach a lesson. Truly I say to you, Whoever says to this mountain that we're standing on, be taken up and be thrown into that sea that we're looking at, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done for him. As I'm reading through this, this part seems to be a little bit out of place. Jesus is using allegory, talking about the fig tree, and Jesus is talking about authority, and he's casting people out of the temple and all this stuff. What does this have to do with faith and prayer? What has to do with faith and prayer is First, authority is the prerequisite for faith, right? That's what we just talked about. But in order for us to to truly connect with God through faith, there is these these things that that work together. Connection and, and conversation and intimacy with God. Faith and surrender walk together. They they work together. Authority and faith and trust and surrender all work together for us to have this connection with God. That's where the prayer piece comes in. Prayer and faith are not disjointed. They work together to accomplish the purposes of God. Verse 24. Therefore I tell you, whatever you ask in prayer, believe that you have received it and it will be yours. Very, very careful. Big red flashing light. Out of context possibility here. We could take this verse way totally completely out of context and screw with our lives. Somebody gets sick, somebody leaves, somebody gets angry at us, something really bad happens to us that we want to pray about and we want God to answer our prayer. Hey, Mark eleven twenty four. if you ask in prayer and don't doubt, I'm going to give it to you. We've got to see this verse for the context of what it's in. This is not a blank check. You believe hard enough, you're going to get whatever you want. Don't misunderstand and know this. This is Jesus teaching us that faith and prayer work in unison. And faith is more than just trusting that something is going to happen. I believe that this is going to happen, so God, you're going to make it happen. It's more than that. It's understanding authority. First of all, if we truly understand that that faith has at its roots authority, we know that no matter how much we believe something to be true, it's not going to change the fact that Christ is the one in authority. You aren't. Just because you have this big, great, grand faith doesn't put you in a position of authority. If we understand that faith has at its root authority... We know that we can't change the authority. Christ is always going to have the authority. And you have to come to grips with this. 
Know that this prayer and faith are working together in unison. And faith has to do with trust and understood authority. Don't take this stuff out of context. Simply put, Jesus is showing His authority, and authority comes from constant connection with the Father and constant submission to His authority. That is, simply put, what Christ is teaching here. Verse 25. Here comes the the, the central teaching of the passage. And whenever you stand praying, forgive. If you have anything against anyone, so that your Father, who is also in heaven, may also forgive your trespasses. More teaching about this connection with the Father. Faith and forgiveness are keys to unlocking this with the Father. Then, verse 27. And they came again to Jerusalem. And as he was walking in the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Here we go. Part 5, the climax. The, the big conflict. The thing, again, this is a trilogy where he's going to have two more encounters with these these religious people that are trying to hang on to their authority. This is the end of the first one to leave us trying to, to want to, to see what's happening next. Here it is. And they came again to Jerusalem, and as he was walking into the temple, the chief priests and the scribes and the elders came to him. Remember what happened two days ago and what happened yesterday. What happened two days ago, hey, you're great, Jesus. What happened yesterday, hey, whoa, he's mad. He's a bad dude, badder than I thought he was. He comes back again, and the, the last time he was with these guys, they were trying to plot a way to destroy him, and here's their plan. This is what they came up with, this verbal wrestling match over authority. Verse 28. And they said to him, By what authority are you doing these things? They're aware this is a wrestling match over authority. Or who gave you this authority to do them? Jesus said to them, I'll ask you one question. Answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. Both parties in this conversation fully aware this is a wrestling match over authority. And Jesus is smarter than these people. And he messes with their heads. Verse 30. Was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? Answer me. Background here. John the Baptist is the John they're talking about. John the Baptist, they were jealous of his authority, and so they figured out a way to get John the Baptist to be killed. So now they're going to connect this story. We're going to try and use the same sort of premises or principles that we got John the Baptist killed with to kill you, Jesus. And Jesus completely turns it on him and says, okay, this guy you, you think you succeeded with, what, what authority did he have? What, was his baptism from heaven or from man? Verse 31. And they discussed it with one another, saying, I can see these big, I picture these people as, as fat, because it's cooler in my head to picture them as fat. So these fat guys, standing around in a circle, and they discussed it with one another, saying, if we say from heaven, he's going to say, well, why didn't you believe him? After all, if it comes from heaven, then we should believe him. But if we say it came from man, they were afraid of the people. For they all held that John was really a prophet, which is ridiculous. These guys are trying to lead. They're the religious leaders of the day. They're the scribes, and they're afraid of everybody. 
I'm not going to stand up for anything because I'm afraid of everybody. Kind of silly. They're afraid of the people. They're afraid of Jesus. And they're not afraid of food because they're fat. I don't know what that means. Verse 33. So they answered him, We do not know. And Jesus said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. The verbal wrestling match with authority is over. And, and we have to see here that, that Jesus is dancing with these guys, stirring them up, making them angry, because we know the end of the story. The, end, the story has to wind up with the point that these guys get so mad, so angry, so needing of power that they kill Jesus. So Jesus has to stir that up, and here he is stirring it up. But ultimately what's happening is, I'm afraid of you, Jesus, and I want the authority that you're trying to take from me. That's the, the heart of what's happening. But here, understand this. Knowing the end of the story and knowing this current story, know this. Jesus will accomplish his purposes if you submit or not. Do you, do you see that? These guys are trying to fight with Jesus over authority. And the end of it is, Jesus is dead. Oh, wait, Jesus rises. They think they win. Oh, no, they don't. They have, we have no authority. Jesus is going to accomplish his task, his purposes, whether we submit to his authority or not. So the, ultimately, what we, our choice is, what's going to happen is going to happen. So we can be in opposition and get beat up by Jesus. Or we can be in submission and receive from Jesus. It's a pretty freaking stupid question if you ask me. You can get beat up all day long and wind up where you're going to wind up, or you can not get beat up and wind up where you're going to wind up. Ultimately, have faith in God. That's the, the, the thought. Faith is where trust meets surrender. Faith has as its roots submission to authority. There is no trust. There is no surrender without understood authority. So where do we get to? What is the point? What do we walk out of this room tonight with? This understanding of authority. I ask the question again. What area of your life is are you wrestling? Are you in this verbal wrestling match with Jesus over authority in your life? And if your mind goes to some stupid, superficial thing, stop it. Go deeper. If your mind wants to go to something, you want to write in your journal right now, Jesus is asking me to respond to his authority in this way. Scratch it out. Wait. Pray. Study. Seek the face of God. Ask him to reveal the depth of your heart. Superficial responses that come in a setting like this a lot of times don't have any kind of impact. It's, it's not about cutting porn out. It's not about saying I need to submit to his authority in, in this way or that way, or I need to, to love my spouse more, or I need to love my kids more, or any of that stuff. It's about my, my thought life. It's not about that. It's, it's going deeper. This is the prayer that I have from my heart, and I've prayed for us all week, that we would, each of us, spend time seeking the face of God for the purpose of having Him reveal 
in our hearts where we are like the scribes and the Pharisees. Where we are wrestling with God. Where we are holding on to the authority in our lives. I'm holding tight to this authority in my life. Jesus, you can't have it. I promise you, everyone in this room has something that they are gripping tight, white-knuckled in their hand. We had prayer gathering in this room about an hour ago. A couple hours ago. Whatever it was. Right at 4, 4.30. I was sitting right there in a chair. Overcome by this concept. We have the unfortunate luck to live in 2009 United States of America. Because We have this culture that impresses on us this American dream. We need comfort. We need security. We need these things to be happy. And that ultimately, this cultural influence on our lives tells us we have to be in control of our finances. We have to be in control of our children. We have to be in control of of every situation in our lives. And as a result, we grab for that authority. We hold to that authority. And we're more consumed with that comfort than we are. What is God calling you to in this moment, in these days, in this time? We hold to the authority of our comfort and our security that America culture tells us all to instead of seeking after the face of God. Or we hold to the comfort and we want to rid ourselves from authority that church tells us to rid us from. That's why I don't want us to look at superficial stuff. Don't look at a list of rules that's going to allow you to cut something out of your life for three weeks, and then you and I both know you're going right back to it in a month. Forget about it. Go deep. Christ is knocking at our hearts right now because at the end of it, He's in authority. We can submit to it or we can be in opposition to it. My prayer is this. God, would you expose the areas where we need to submit? What is the authority that we cling to, that we white-knuckle to in our lives? Let's pray, and then we'll have our time of response. God, I thank you for your scripture. I thank you for this beautiful picture of the authority that you have, that you've given to us, God. God, allow us to connect with that fig tree that looks like we got our stuff together, Father, but we aren't bearing the fruit that you are calling us to bear, Father. And we trust you. We submit to you, God. Even if that means pain, God. Even if that means uncertainty as to how the rent gets paid or the health of someone, God. We submit that you are the author and the creator of the world and the author and the creator of everything that happens in this world, God. God, help us to come to grips that faith is found there, God. We trust when you take from us. We trust when you give to us, God. Because you are above us. We are stupid. Lord, point your Holy Spirit at our hearts and root up the authority issues that we have. 
Destroy them, Father. Reveal them, Father. Guide us as we respond to you, Father. And protect our hearts and our stupid minds from superficial exposure, God. Allow us to not deal in just a couple of minutes with this, God, and, and think that we, we've, we've gained something. Go to the core of our hearts, Father. Because we want to receive from you, God. We want to love you, God. We want to have this connection with you. Guide our hearts and our minds in this time of response. We, we thank you, Jesus. We thank you for who you are, for your life, for your death, and for your resurrection that brings us relationship with you. It's in his name.